strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And tonight we're going to talk about the great vampire craze of New England. Have you ever heard of this, Robin? Nope. Nope. Me either. Yeah, weirdly, it's on every list of like weird history facts. I even think some other podcasts have done it, but whatever. I'm just going to get into it. Teach me. (laughs) So I'm going to start by just talking a little bit about vampire mythos and lore. The vampire mythos originates in like ancient beliefs that demons and evil spirits feed on the blood of the living there are (laughs) yes there are like (laughs) vampires in every culture around the world um all these versions of blood-sucking creatures that return from the grave in slavic culture the ubir u-b-i-r i I think it's ubir was an unclean spirit that possessed a dead body okay and then there's Mm. a strigoi which is a strigoi yeah, which is Romanian culture. Um, and that basically, whenever a troubled person passed away, then they would die and they would come back and return and drink the blood of relatives and villagers causing their death or illness. Uh, okay. Right. <laughs> so these are two of like wow. the prevailing um, mythos from Eastern Europe that have very much created the vampire idea that we understand. Um, the sort of like coming back from the dead, feeding on the living, this whole deal. Um, but unfortunately, it's really more like, you know, whenever a village was struck by disease, people believed that the first person to die of that disease would become a vampire coming back and causing the deaths of subsequent people. Now, isn't it a possibility that maybe they weren't dead and they were just buried alive to begin with and had to crawl out? I mean, there are certainly those cases, mm-hmm. which maybe we'll look into at some point. There's those cases in, in the United States. I mean, they have the wars. bells. Yeah, exactly. The bells and the bells, uh, the, the caskets the, and the graves. Yeah, the string wrapped around their pinky so they can right. ring it. And if you were right. born, if you were but um, buried alive. I think it's more <clears throat> that they didn't understand how disease worked. They're like, oh, he's cold. So the first person that died, when people continued to die after that, they would just think that that person had caused it or was coming back from the dead to continue to feed on them. So it wasn't so much um, that they were actually doing that, but that they believed that the first person that died, which was probably the person who's spreading the disease throughout the villages, like in, you know, historic Slavic and Romanian culture, they would exhume bodies and find them to be, if they found them to be either well-preserved or bloated with like their skin coming off and like blood oozing from their mouths long fingernails either way if they found them well preserved or they found them normally like decomposed they would say that they were vampires um this just basically shows that they had no understanding of like decomposition yeah and then a well-preserved body somebody who was like you know maybe buried in the winter time when there would be less decomposition less decay so they'd be well preserved they'd be like they're a vampire in the same instance they would open up a grave and see someone who's bloated, had like the putrid like liquid oozing from like their orifices. They would also, or like the long fingernails, which comes from like the skin of the cuticles pulling back after death as they like dehydrate. So either way, they you're would say vampire. they're vampires. <laughs> no matter so what, you're a vampire. Anyone could be a vampire if caught in the right stage of decomposition mm-hmm. is sort of the moral of the story. Got it. And this is all like the history that like backs up like and then, where so we're headed. The folklore of vampires where they only come out at night and they may or may not be seen and punctual like and so of course I don't have any I don't have any more of that 
No, I'm just saying that that could also be a reason why they think that they're vampires. It's like, oh, they are a vampire. They have to be because we don't see them doing these things. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it happens unseen. Exactly. Right. So it's like, oh, they must be a vampire because clearly there's something wrong with him. He wakes up. Vampire. And stuff and he goes, yeah. Bacteria or virus. Unseen. All unseen causes for death. Right. So that sort of brings us up to like historically where we're going to go with this story, which is at the end of the 19th century in New England, there's a well-known documented vampire panic. Now you have to remember this is about- In New England? In New England. We're talking Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Vermont. This is about 200 years after the Salem Witch Trials. Wow. So just set yourselves up. Like they've already had these sort of- not far from us, people. We're in New Jersey. Right. Not they've, far from us. They've already had these sort of hysteric leanings. Um, so again, strap in. Which is not strap on. Strap the, in. Oh, make sure. Make like sure. I said, I'd love to be an adult, but I'll always be a twelve-year-old <laughs> boy. Anyway, you got to distinguish between the two. Strapping in and strapping on, because you're going to strap in for this ride. And we're about to talk about New England vampire panic. Let's right. go. So Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Vermont. This was like the area that this took place. These were all sort of, it was more in small towns, rural areas. Of course, yeah. Farms, villages, not like large cities. We're not talking about Boston, you know. We're not talking about New York City. We're not talking about probably even Hartford, Connecticut. We're talking about like the small areas. Because if it happened areas. there, it wouldn't be what we see today. Like it wouldn't be. Well, it'd be like, oh, people are sick and they're dying. Exactly. So... This hysteria coincides with a terrible outbreak of tuberculosis at this time, which at that time was known as consumption. I will say consumption. I'll say tuberculosis. Same, same. You can also say TB for short. I may say TB too. I'll say things. Things like that will be said. Perfect. Okay. So the anthropologist, I do not remember his name. Um, (laughs) I love him already. (laughs) Bellantoni. Sounds very Italian. Bellantoni. Bellantoni. He confirms that there are 12 documented cases of vampirism, quote unquote, and that 11 of the 12 decedents died of consumption. He's an anthropologist um, that works, has been working on this case for years. Consumption is a word that was coined by the Greeks for a word that they have called fitilis. Fitilis? Sure. Call our Greek friends. See how see how they pronounce that. Fatilius. Fatilis. Fatilis. Um, and that was re- uh, that was a word that was used to refer to pulmonary tuberculosis as early as 460 BC, wow. and is documented in the U.S. as early as 100 A.D. Tuberculosis has been around. <laughs> Yo, tuberculosis has been around a long time. That's what I learned. That's what I learned. Hippocrates, known as the father of modern medicine, also known for the Hippocratic Oath actually taught his students not to bother to treat people who are in the last stages of consumption because they would most likely die and come back to life. <laughs> no, no. Oh. They would most likely that, die. And that's where we're going. those deaths would ruin their reputation as doctors. Oh, and as Yeah, as healers. <laughs> How messed up is that? All I could think is like, so I'm a nurse, right? So all I could think was like, even in ancient Greece, healthcare was rationed. They're, like, always, like, trying to make sure their Yelp score is higher. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Okay. Anyway. Got it. That was all I could think of. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than 
what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to <laughs> podcasts on. Yeah, podcast, your, your, homecasts. Your, your, your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. And Hippocrates also known for the Hippocratic Oath, the do no harm. Yeah. Right. And they just, he basically oh. taught, like, don't worry about them. No, just leave them alone. Just let them die. Just leave them alone. They're going to die anyway. It's fine. Cost. You don't need to help them. There's, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> uh, the term tuberculosis was coined by Johann Schnoll in 1839. Um, but after Dr. Robert Koch, or Koch, K-O-C-H, could go either way, discovered the tuberculobacillum. Uh, in 1905, um, that's when it really became known as tuberculosis. So he actually identified the bacteria that causes tuberculosis, and that won him the Nobel Prize. This microbe has been around for over 15,000 years. It's found in soil and fossils as far back as 15,000 years. Wow. And it has been known to be causing human deaths for over 5,000 years. I. It's called I consumption. Yeah, and to me, it's just... Like something that happened, what, in 1800s? Well, you know, like all these movies yes. and television shows and everything. Exactly. Of like the movies and the telephone and the movies saying blood up in a, in a handkerchief yes. and they have, the, they have TB. Penny too. Dreadful. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So tuberculosis is called consumption because it is it causes great weakness and weight loss, effectively consuming the individual from the inside out. Can I have TB for like a second? Okay. Can, yeah. I, have, can I have it for like, does weight loss? But then you also get the night sweats and the coffee nut blood. Yeah, but for like a day. That's fine. It's it's not for a day. Damn it. Yeah, it's like till you die. If you the, have a face. From the inside out. The, the, way, the way you said that, I'm just like, oh. So tuberculosis can actually affect all, uh, can affect three systems of the body. Lungs, skin, and bones. So it goes from the lungs to the bones. Once it's to the in skin. the bloodstream, it travels. Yeah. Right. So it's like the skin, like the last thing to go. So it works from the inside out. Holy. Inside out. George Stetson was the head of the Washington Anthropologic Society. Actually wrote an article about this issue stating that consumption is not actually, at this time was not considered to be a physical disease, but rather a spiritual disease of obsession and visitation. And that as long as the dead relative has blood in their heart, it would continue to steal the blood of the living to fill the heart of the dead and cause a rapid decline in the health and well-being of the living. Mm, nice try. That's the statement <laughs> from Anthropology 1898. Oh. George Stetson. He comes up again. Stetson. He says some things. I know. I just, I thought about the hats. I know. <laughs> First thought. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, is he from Texas? I don't think so. Maybe. It was believed that if a member of your family uh, died of consumption, that the other members of your family would begin to grow ill. Probably because tuberculosis is fucking contagious as hell. Is it? Yeah. Consumption ran rampant. Like, but it was all about like overcrowding. Yeah. And like, it was yeah. mostly in like cities and like, you know, the more like poverty stricken areas. Well, yeah. Also, I just I every time I I think of the TB, I just think of like close encounter. So it's not technically like right. But you're thinking about these families who are all living in a house together. That's true, right? So it's like you know when like someone you live with gets cold, and you're like it's only a matter of time. Screwed. Yeah. You're like tick tock, tick tock. 
And if you get out of it, you're like fucking awesome. Wow. Except this, you're, you're screwed no matter what. Like you're gonna you're gonna get it no matter what. If you share a household with someone who has tuberculosis, you're gonna get it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, thank you. But um, even though it's probably from tuberculosis being very contagious, it was actually believed to be caused by the deceased member of the family stealing the living family member's health. Oh, I get it. Okay, so it's more of a spiritual thing. Like, right. Okay. That's what, like, that guy said, like, yeah. Stetson. He's like, yeah, it's, like, more like... No. no. It's not like they're <laughs> actually actively, like, getting out of their graves and, like, stealing life. It's this, like, idea that if this member of your family dies until they are devoid of blood, they will continue to, to suck the life suck out the of health you. and life out of you. Got it. Right. So um, Again, to combat it's, it's this. another reference of Hocus Pocus tonight. As they suck the life out of little children. Oh, I'm sorry. I had to say it. Little children, children, I'll take me away. I don't know if we, those are the right words. Um, so... In order to combat this vampire plague, uh, family members would dig up the remains and render them incapable of rising, quote unquote, by burning organs and body parts or beheading them. That I've, that I know, that right. I've heard of. There's more pieces to it. We'll talk about it more in depth in a little bit. Let okay. me talk about specific cases um, that are documented. These vampire slayings are well documented in newspapers of the time. And there's also archaeologic evidence, which I'll Ooh, talk about later. Fun. I knew you'd like that okay. one. Uh, the details vary from case to case. In some cases, uh, family mem- only the family members were involved. In like the more quiet areas, uh, the more farm areas, like Vermont, they had like a lot of small areas. And like Rhode Island, where there'd be like family farms and like they would notice like, okay, this family member died. So before they get the rest of the family, you know, the other family members would fall ill. I can't believe this happened so close. I know. This and they crazy. would like start, they would get the family together and they'd be like, all right, let's Let's dig them up and if there's any blood in their body in their heart especially so cut them open cut off their head cut them open take out their heart if there's any blood inside the heart they would then burn the heart the thing that like totally messes me up about this is that it was like just like 130 years I ago know. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry continue wow. sometimes they would have doctors or clergy give their opinion um sometimes men in the town would take a vote and decide if they were going to exhume the body it just depended on the area you lived in if it was more of a village or if we're talking about like a small family plot with like a like a farm if they were so if they're going to remove the body from the grave and do all this stuff then why bury them to begin with it's like just keep them out I think for that, like, while. they die and then or, people start to get sick or cremate to begin with all like why it all comes is, back to cremation if you're gonna burn the heart and de- like behead them and all the stuff then just burn them to start get rid of that disease uh sometimes these exhumations were done you know very clandestine in the dark of night by lantern light and sometimes the whole town came out to watch bring out your dead <laughs> it always comes back to that <laughs> bring out your dead it just depends on where you lived um, the exhumations in Rhode Island uh, were considered to be very, like, small and quaint and more, like, family-oriented because the area was more rural by nature and the cemeteries were more family plots. Uh, whereas in Vermont, sorry, I said that backwards before, uh, Vermont, there were, those towns were more set up as, like, these villages, so there would be, like, a town cemetery. Got it. Like, there's, was there, any, do you know if there's any, like, mausoleums where instead of... I don't. Like, maybe there were, maybe they were above. All the photos I saw were headstones. So they were all buried. Yeah. Of the four cases that I read specifically about and saw pictures of. This sort of all kicks off into like modern culture. Uh, In November of 1990, there were some children playing near a a vine. Shut your mouth, Jennifer. 1990? 
So, in November of 1990, there were some children playing near a mine in Griswold, Connecticut. They found an old abandoned cemetery. You're like, oh my god, I just found an abandoned cemetery. This is my childhood dream come true. It's amazing. You're like, holy shit, there are all these, like, cool little headstones. And they come back, and they're, like, telling their families. They're like, oh my god, we found this abandoned cemetery. Do you think one of them, like, the headstones, Gideon? Because, you know, I, I bet love, there was a Gideon. I There's always Gideon. a Gideon. There's always Gideon in every historic cemetery. love Gideon. But nobody believed these poor kids. Of course, no one ever believes kids, oh. right? No one ever believes them. But if they're so excited about it, you would believe that's it. That's okay, because you know? guess what? Guess what? They brought back a skull. So you can't argue is with this, a human skull. I'm sorry. Did I? Am I from the past again and this is my future child? I hope so. I hope so, Rob. So the small cemetery that they found actually belonged to the Walton family. It held the remains of 29 people, but there was one grave in particular that showed signs of a vampire slaying. So this is the cemetery that the archaeologists and anthropologists went to explore. That's the Bellatoni gentleman. He explored this area very like they did all the archaeologic like rightness by it, you know, taking the dirt off very slowly, cataloging all the bones, covering going through all the right, going through all the different burial sites. But they found this one burial site where the graves showed the signs of vampire slaying. They actually, when they uncovered, there were these large stone slabs that covered the grave. These very heavy stones. To prevent it from coming out, basically. Right. So when they pulled those up, they actually found the skull and femurs placed above the ribcage in like a skull and crossbones fashion. Like a Jolly Roger. Wow. Can you imagine how cool that is? Holy shit. Right? Like, they opened up the, like, yeah, wood yeah. casket then, that had, like, JB55 and brass tacks on top of the wood casket. They pull the casket lid back, and it's total skull and crossbones inside. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really right. fucking cool. So that, like, you know, caused, like, people to really start to, like, talk about this vampire um, craze that had gone on in the late 19th century. That skeleton was actually sent off um, to forensics where they did analysis and did find that he had died of tuberculosis. Okay. So it all fits, right? And it goes back to the TV. Got exactly. It. So in Jewel, Connecticut, on May 30th, 1854, the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, which was the newspaper in that area, actually reported on a strange item that they had found in a local um, paper nearby called the Norwich Courier. And this was the um, strange undertakings of Horace Ray Griswold. Uh, So Horace Ray Griswold had three sons. He died of consumption in 1846. He was soon followed by two of his sons. So he died. Uh Two sons died after him. Third son gets sick. Friends and family are like, hold up, hold the phones. We got to get to this grave. We got to dig him up. We got to get Horace Ray out of there. We need to burn his heart. We need to behead him. Right. And they exhumed the body and they burned the remains. So this is well documented in the newspapers of the time. That people were there. They saw it happen. Or Griswold. I think it's really weird because the first case where they found the abandoned cemetery, Griswold, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And the next person I talk about is is Horace Ray Griswold. Mm -hmm. And I just keep thinking National Lampoon's vacation. I I knew you were going to say it. (laughs) I put a dime and get a car. I put a dollar and get a car. So then the, another case is Frederick Ransom of South Woodstock, Vermont. He dies on Valentine's Day of 1817 at the age of 20. Oh. Yeah, he actually was, um, he actually went to Dartmouth. Yeah. Wow. But his father was so concerned that he would return from the grave and attack the family that he actually exhumed him and had his heart burned on the blacksmith's forge. This burning of his heart was attended by hundreds of people and members of the community. Though often those who fell victim to the vampire 
panic were typically part of like working class, like agrarian, more rural families. The yeah. Ransom family was actually very well off and well educated, but they still were terrified. Poor kid. You know, just the hysteria in the area just did yeah. not yeah. allow for them to even be able to move past it. And they were just like, better safe than I just, sorry. I feel so bad. Just let, like, let them rest, you know? I know. Like, oh, yeah. you know, He's like 20. I know. On Valentine's Day, he's 20 years old. He dies on Valentine's Day and then you burn his heart. I know. Fuck you. That's why I had to bring up the Valentine's Day thing. So I was wow. like, no. Like sad. It's very sad. Poor kid. So the next case that's very famously linked to this panic is the case of Mercy Brown. Mercy Brown. Not Murphy Brown. I was going to say no relation. Mercy Brown. And this took place in Exeter, Rhode Island. Her mother was the first to contract consumption and it quickly spread to her family. The mother died in 1882, followed by her daughter in 1883, uh, another of her daughters in 1883. Mercy lived on until 1892 when she passed away from consumption. Because not everyone goes quickly from it. I was going to say, right? so if she died in 1882 and then 1883, so that poor that poor child lasts an entire year with consumption or... No, no, it it's actually... a few months before It's she, actually nine years. She nine makes it years. nine Nine years. Yeah. Again, so wow, I don't know if she was sick the whole time, but I do know that tuberculosis can go dormant and then show itself again. And that can happen many times uh, throughout a person's life. Right. So like, you can fight it off, but then it, it all comes to a point when you can't fight it anymore. Got it. I was going to say, wow. Like, So that she also had a brother named Edwin who was also ill and he felt that, you know, that he should move out West. And so he moved to Colorado uh, to recuperate, get the fresh air, even though I'm sure that like the air in Rhode Island was not that bad, but he no, went to Colorado, but he did come back after Mercy died and he continued to be ill. When he returned to Rhode Island, his friend suggested that one of his female family members who had died of consumption must be a vampire and suggested they dig up the remains of all of them and any member of the family who still had blood in their heart would be the vampire and then they could burn that body oh my just let, let them go i know but you know they didn't understand what it was i know i know i know How you have to understand that there's still like there's no penicillin like yeah. i mean and then you're in a time when like someone essentially starts to not feel well they start to cough they start to have night sweats they start to lose weight they start to cough up blood and either they get better or they don't like 20 percent of people will get better on their own but 80 percent don't i don't know what and the then percentage is right yeah so and there's always going to have to be like some explanation. And if you don't have a science explanation, because they did not have a scientific explanation. Then they're going to believe in their beliefs. They're going to understand Right. They that. just they're have gonna, to like, they, they have to believe something. People have to try to take control of their lives in some yeah. way, right? And it's I know it seems so like sad and sick, but I'll be very honest with you. You're my best friend. And I love you. But if you're a vampire, I fucking dig you up and burn you. Just burn me to begin with. True. If, if you're like, hmm, I don't know. If there's any chance. Me, yeah. If, if there's any me. chance. Just burn me. Don't okay. be head me. At least keep my head on. Just burn me. Yeah, I give you, I give you deal permission. Um, <laughs> I, t- I, I, t- I really do trust your judgment. If you're like, ooh, wow, I don't know, should we do this? Should There's we wait? Some I, you know chance. what? Let's, you know, let's right. not wait. Let's just do it. It's like if you had a prion disease, and then I would if you had a prion disease, I would burn you. Go ahead, burn away, baby. Um, so on March seventeenth, uh, eighteen ninety-two, the all three women were disinterred. Mercy's mother and sister. At this point, they had been dead for ten years, were nothing but bones. But Mercy, on the other hand, who had been buried only three months beforehand in winter, was found to be incredibly well preserved. There you go. And still had clotted blood within her heart. So, of course, she had to be the vampire. I mean, there's proof right there. There's no total proof. There's no other reason. So, in the end, though, Edwin did die a few weeks later. Poor Edwin. I mean, I mean, he went all the way to Colorado. It was only a matter of time, like with the with the consumption. 
You only got a little bit of time. You might have a year, you might have 10 years, but eventually the consumption's going to get you. I just feel really bad for everyone who was around Edwin during that time and who all these friends and family in Colorado yeah. and who was on the train or if whatever kind of transportation you took yep. to get back to Rhode Island. All those people just coughing all, all this his germs friends. around because you know he had lady friends in Colorado. They may have been ladies of the night sex workers probably well and then he gave him a consumption so yeah so edwin did die a few weeks later this was a very well publicized vampire exhumation and this is the case that actually led george stetson the head of the washington anthropologic society to start looking into those cases and throughout new england those that died of consumption you know this was a pretty regular happening they were exhumed and their body their their graves were desecrated. The most benign thing that people would do during this time was just to turn the body over face down. Uh, in some cases, they were decapitated. In some cases, organs were removed and burned. That was something that I would think that, I mean, that's back in the day, like from Egyptian times, where, you know, when mum, like mummification, they remove the organs, they put them in these jars, and they wrap the body. So it's, they're doing extra work. Well, it's also part if they of, really, yeah. If they really feel that there's a vampire epidemic, they're doing so much work. Right. It's oh, like, why wait? Yeah. Just fucking do it. Get it over Look with. Look at us. Look at us 130 years later solving those problems. You're welcome. I'm when done. we get our time <laughs> machine, we're solving all the problems. I know. Just, just you know, because they had to figure it out earlier, you know, in like 400 BC. You know, they yeah, like figured this is, it out. This has only been going on for 5,000 years. It's like, it's fine. <laughs> Though, I will tell you, I haven't even told you like kind of the grossest part. In some cases, the ashes were actually consumed. The ashes of the burned organs were consumed to cure the consumption. I'm not grossed out by that. Really? Nope. Huh. Because odd duck you are. Be- no, honestly, why not? You know, if they already think of all this crazy stuff, like, oh, this woman who was buried in the winter... Oh, she still has some, you know, blood in her heart. She has to be a vampire. Let's burn it and then consume it as a, what, did they mix it with anything? Did it mix it with water, make it more of a paste? Is it I like... they just drank it or maybe like sprinkled a, it on food. Yeah, I was like, mix it with water, make like a pate. Why not? I'm, right? I'm not surprised. They already went this far. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, also in the journal of Henry David Thoreau, he wrote on September 26th, 1859, that he had just read about a family in Vermont that had many members of their family die of consumption and that they had just disinterred the last member of the family to die in order to burn their lungs, heart, and liver. So we're talking about Henry David Thoreau, one of the great writers of America, and he was even writing about this epidemic. So it was very well known in, so he was one the, of the ones in New England. The press generally dismissed uh, this whole craze as superstition <laughs> and the act of burning no organs. Shit. Right. <laughs> and the act of burning the organs and consuming them as folk medicine. Can you imagine if they actually did put out something as positive? Like, yes, this is real. Everybody Everyone, you should do it. Everyone, you have to dig up all of your dead Mass ones. cremations. Oh my goodness. Just one giant fire I mean, pit of, in the middle of town. I'm sort of of the belief that like once they're dead, who cares? I don't. I don't have a lot of you know holding on no, to like the physical. No, right? No, let them go. I have so many stories based on like burial witch rules where they save things and they go back and they do this and they do that. And yeah. it's, it's. I understand everyone's belief is different and everyone's religion does everything and and the culture and everything. But at the same time, in this case. They're not vampires. 
Let him no. leave him alone. Certainly not. Um, so there's another gentleman named Michael Bell. He is a well-known New England folklorist, and he actually has documented 80 exhumations as far back as the 1700s and as far west as Minnesota. This is sort of his whole deal. It's his life's work. He does not go and dig people up. He actually is the person who finds these different newspaper articles, and he goes through family records. And he goes to the homes. And he goes and through like journals. That. And that is his thing, which I think is that's just the cool. coolest yeah, thing. That's right? pretty cool. And if he went all, like, all the way out that far, then you know that this wasn't just a New England thing. Right. But he, the highest concentration of these exhumations did take place in the rural towns of New England. Of course it did. Right. Uh, though there are very few graves left to investigate because no one wants their family to just be exhumed because like of whatever. Mm-hmm. So they're not just going to go around like digging up all of these historic graves. So the one case of the grave that the children found, mm-hmm. uh, JB's grave in Griswold, Connecticut, that is actually, it, it holds as the one archaeologic specimen they have of this act. Like they can read about it. There are stories about it. That's writers cool. wrote about it. That's but really this cool. is archaeologic evidence. Awesome. So that's pretty awesome. Um, But this hysteria definitely was directly linked to a savage outbreak of tuberculosis that went on during that time. Though, I'm going to switch gears for a second. Yeah, sure. Um, While you're switching gears, pass me the wine. Yeah. Which, by the way, is a Lander and Jenkins Pinot Noir. I I got it because it had a horse and carriage on it. And we were going to talk about old timey stuff. Yeah. I'm actually an emergency room nurse. So when I talk about medical things, I I talk about it from like a real place of personal experience. I know a lot of people think that tuberculosis is an old fashioned disease, but there are currently 8 million new cases every year and approximately 25% of those people will die. That's so sad. I mean, there are islands. Mm -hmm. I know, um, I know. You know, Mm -hmm. whole islands where they had like the tuberculosis hospitals. Mm -hmm. In the past 200 years, take a wild guess, Robin, how many people have died of tuberculosis? Wild guess. And how, how many years? The past two centuries. Two centuries. Mm-hmm. Two million people. One billion. Oh, my God. I was way off. Billion people have died of tuberculosis in the last two years. Two years. Two hundred years. Mm. If it was 200. two years, I'm, I'm going to go again with my two million. <laughs> I'm going to stand by it again and go two million. <laughs> and you would actually be right with that one because that would be 25% of the eight million yearly cases. One billion. Yeah. One of the first treatments for tuberculosis was heroin. And it was marketed by the Bayer Corporation. Wow. <laughs> Bayer aspirin doled out heroin. Um, streptomycin was discovered in 1944 as the possible cure for tuberculosis. Tuberculosis would actually be completely extinct had HIV not come around. They thought that by 1980, uh, tuberculosis would be the same as smallpox. And it would be pretty, like, gone. Like, there would be just no chance that you would get it. Um, but with the resurgence, with HIV and those people, those immune like the immunocompromised population, it's actually made like quite the resurgence. And another fun fact, Virginia Clem, Edgar Allan Poe's wife, Mm -hmm. died of tuberculosis. Oh. Those are my weird fun facts. I have tuberculosis fun facts. I don't know how much fun they are, but it's good to know. They're pretty not fun, baseline. No, but it's it's, it's pretty cool. So the vampire panic of New England, uh, just another notorious narrative. Have a show idea? Send it on over to us along with any questions, comments, or corrections to notoriousnarratives at gmail.com. You can follow us on our Instagram at Notorious Narratives and Twitter at Notorious Tales. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Every review helps other listeners to find us. Thanks so much.